Learn how to alter your DNA. Expand your consciousness. Heal your body. Attain oneness. Sound, light, heat, vibration, and emotion. Changing us. Learn from the masters and grow wise. Hello and welcome to Health in Action Live. This is Annette Blanchard, holistic health practitioner, bringing you 60 minutes of Healthy Talk Radio and planting seeds of possibilities for hope and for healing. As long as we can um, have that paradigm shift in our thinking, and that's what this program is about. It's about planting a seed of possibility so that you can actually learn to look at old things in a new way. And that's the classic paradigm shift, right? And that's what we need to do. Today's guest I have on the program is someone that I've known for quite a number of years and a very amazing humanitarian. And his name is Dr. Donald Jolly, and um, he is the executive director of South Bay Hyperbaric Center for Oxygen Therapy at the Center for New Medicine. And prior to that, Dr. Uh, Gabriel was the founder of the Hyperbaric Oxygen Therapy Program at the Whitaker Wellness Institute and the director of um, hyperbaric medicine there for over 10 years. And that is actually where I met uh, Dr. Jolly. So I'm very familiar with all of his amazing work that he's done. Um, with the clinic in the world of hyperbaric um, medicine. And then also, it's fascinating when you look at his background, he's got this whole theological background as well, which I really believe plays a really important role when you look um, at your health and wellness and you come to a crossroads. Because when you come to a clinic like the Whitaker Institute, you know, that was one of the groundbreaking pioneers, you know, that really was on the forefront forefront of um, alternative medicine, reversing heart disease naturally, reversing diabetes naturally. And he went up against his peers to look at natural modalities to help the body heal. And one of the things that Dr. Whitaker used is hyperbaric medicine. Well, I'd like to welcome you to the program, Dr. Jolly, and we are going to talk a little bit about hyperbaric medicine, but we're also going to tap into, you know, the power of spiritual healing in the big picture because there's many components and many facets to health and well-being and it's often uh, shoved underneath the carpet and nobody really wants to talk about it or you think that oh you talk about spiritual you think it's religion and then you think it's like somebody's going to beat you over the head with a bible or something like that so welcome to the program so that you can enlighten us. Well, it's a great pleasure, and uh, as far as being enlightened, I think we all should be enlightening each other. And a little bit of confusion sometimes about my name, because I have a hyphenated name. It's Jolly-Gabriel. My mother wouldn't give up her name, so she gave me her her husband's, my father's last name, and also her maiden last name. So that's why they call me Dr. Gabriel, they call me Dr. Jolly, I don't care what they call me as long as they call me. 
Wonderful. Well, Dr. Jolly, you have an amazing life story and, you know, contribution, like I said, that you've made to humanity. And and I just want to share with our listeners a little bit about your history because it's very colorful. And um, I I just am curious, you know, you've gone from, you know, uh, financial industries and, you know, the world of hyperbaric medicine, working with Mother Teresa, you know, the world of uh, as a as a priest and ordained priest. So take us on that journey from, you know, what led you to where you are today? Well, I think uh, the foundation was St. Catherine's Military Academy. When I was six and a half years old, I went there. It's in Anaheim. It's still there, alive and well, run by nuns, the same order that was in the burning it when I was there. We had military people, of course, a, a general who was retired who was running the place, and it was a military academy. We met the Mass, though, every morning. We prayed every day. It was the most incredible experience, and I wanted to go. Usually, the parents have to fight the kids to go, but I wanted to go. My cousins were there. I wanted to be with them, so I went. That was the beginning. And probably the the next threshold was Cardinal Newman High School, Catholic High School, incredible education there. Then I went into a monastery. I went to a monastery, and I went to a seminary, and I was trained in the priesthood, and I was ordained an Orthodox priest from the ancient Orthodox Church, which was my family's heritage. And also, you know, Rome, Rome accepts us. As, uh, as being valid churches because the Orthodox Church actually existed before, before Constantine and, and, and Rome was established. So I, that's how it got me into religion. And uh, I've been a banker. I, in fact, I started a bank. It was one of the most incredible things I've done outside of, of godliness and spirituality and medicine. Uh, I had a great time opening up a bank in Riverside, California, and uh, it was hard to do, but I did it. And I, I love doing different things. That's all. I love, I love challenges. Mm-hmm. One of the things I kind of find really fascinating is, you know, uh, Mother Teresa. Now, this younger generation probably don't aren't so much aware of Mother Teresa, but they they may have heard the word, you know, or made, uh, you know, someone used coined the term or or whatnot. But you actually tell us a little bit about Mother Teresa and how was it that you crossed paths with her? Well, uh, a very good friend of mine, Dr. David Hughes, who was probably one of the top world's top hyperbaricists and uh, and and people from uh, from Tulane University Medical Center, we got a phone call from them and said, "We need you to come to Romania. We have some problems with babies. Lots of babies were sick." And uh, Dr. Harsh and myself and Dr. Hughes and and Dr. Kirkpatrick, who was a female doctor at uh, Tulane University Medical Center, we all took flights to Romania. We went to Romania and we took care of sick babies, infants, who had all kinds of problems. And and, and, uh, the doctor, I think the doctor's name was Ceausescu, and one of one of them was Dalbescu and one was Ceausescu. I don't remember which was the president and which was the doctor. But we started working on those babies, and we had miracles. So we used oxygen therapy. We used a, a shot that was uh, also had an oxygen molecule in it, as well as some oxygen therapy, a hyperbaric type therapy, and we had magic happening, and that was absolutely wonderful. And Mother Teresa stopped over for a little while to uh, visit us and, and talk to us and tell us what, what she would add to <clears throat> what we were doing. 
And uh, I, I hooked up with her, and I said, hey, I'd like to come someday to India when you're there. And I did. I ended up in India, and I have to tell you something. Mother Teresa, now Saint Teresa, was is the most incredible person that I have ever met in my life. Her life was to serve people who were suffering and miserable and poor. We, we I say we, I was trying to help her out, but it was her, ministering to people in the street, and I witnessed people batting off vultures while they laid in the street dying, biting, uh, uh, just batting away the, the vultures who came to already eat them, and they weren't even dead yet. And and that's that's how it all started. The encounter started with that kind of introduction to me. And uh, you know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to run like hell and get out of there. And I, I thought, this is not right, Donald. You, you are here for a reason. You're going to learn. You're going to serve these people. And I'll tell you, I learned from the best on earth. St. Teresa, we call now St. Teresa, she was giving everything, her life, to what she did. And, and her nuns were absolutely incredible, all of them. They were all, they were all like, like uh, cutouts of her. They, they believed the same thing. They worked the same way. They were hard workers. They prayed. They helped the worst dying sick people you can ever imagine, even a few lepers, leprosy patients we had. And um, how, how, could I not, how could I not try to live up to what she was doing in the presence of her and her nuns? I had to, like it or not, and I did. Mm-hmm. And it was the greatest thing I've ever done, I think. So, you know, obviously, you know, I find that there's different times we come to crossroads and we have these epiphanies. And when you work with a a humanitarian uh, like, um, you know, uh, Mother Teresa, what was the biggest thing that, what was your takeaway? Having spent that time with her and witnessing the suffering. Well, she tried her best to alleviate suffering, to alleviate the misery. She gave hope to those people. And you know what? Hope comes mostly from spirituality. I I remember years ago with Diane Reed, who was a a newspaper lady. She started even a newspaper in Riverside, California, but she was a newspaper giant. And uh, she, she was incredible, incredible lady. She taught me so much. Lady Diane Reed, she was made a lady, a papal lady. She was such a a server of humanity. And uh, it was all about serving people, serving people, serving people, serving people, supporting students who wanted to become missionaries, to send them out to work hard with people. They make no money. They gave, some of them gave five years of their life to doing that. And that's what Mother Teresa was. That's what she did. She generated that. She started an order of nuns that's, one of the hugest order of nuns, and all they do is take care of the sickest and the poorest people, and they live in, in little, little tiny rooms. They call them cells, tiny rooms in a, in a convent. They pray three, four hours a day, and they take care of the sick, and that's the way it is, and, and I learned from them so very, very much. You know, even though I learned high school, not, not in high school, but in grammar school, all in military school and high school and all that stuff. But it was Mother Teresa that was my best teacher. And that's, that's it. That's all I can say. 
You know, when you go from uh, training in a monastery and then working with someone with the likes of Mother Teresa, you know, I, 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 how did you bridge over to medicine and hyperbarics? Well, that all happened because we got a call from someone in uh, Romania, as I said before, and a lot of these babies had problems. And I was working with Dr. David Hughes, who was a hyperbaricist, to beyond wildest belief. And he said to me, I got a call from Dr. Daubescu, and uh, he wants us to go to, meaning us, meaning him and his team, uh, to uh, Romania and, and use hyperbarics on some babies that are inflicted with some horrible infection. And I, I said, David, can I go? Can I go? And he said, you're there, man. You're there. So I went with him. And we used hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is oxygen therapy. I like to call it oxygen therapy. Hyperbarics is a funny word. And what it means is high pressure. And um, it might interest all of you who are listening to the show that oxygen that we breathe every day that keeps us alive, without it we will die in a couple of minutes. Oxygen has been declared a drug by the FDA. It is now officially a drug. It is under the. Oh, why did they kidding. do that? Because they wanted to control <laughs> oxygen. How could they justify it? Because oxygen is dosable. It will do different things at different doses. The dose that we get, which is 21% oxygen, with, with no pressure pushing it into the body, just breathing and having it absorb into the blood, that is very little oxygen, but it keeps us alive and keeps us moving. But if you dose it, if you use more oxygen, and how do you dose oxygen? You dose a drug like Cipro, which is an antibiotic, by just adding more ingredients to it. But how do you dose a gas? There's only one way, with pressure. And how do you do that? Just like Coca-Cola, 7-Up, root beers made. You put the liquid in an environment and pressurize it. And the pressure in that environment causes any gas in that environment to dissolve into the liquid. That's how they make Coca-Cola. That's how they make 7-Up. That's how they make all carbonated drinks. They put it under pressure. The pressure causes the gas that they're using to dissolve and put bubbles into whatever the liquid is, and they cap it. So that's basically the story of how they get the gas in the, in the liquid. And we did that with oxygen, by putting the human being under pressure in a chamber. Many of you are probably, uh, that are probably listening to the show now may have uh, been around when Michael Jackson had an accident and he burned his face in a Pepsi commercial. And hyperbaric oxygen was the only thing that really would heal him, along with a little bit of plastic surgery. But if there was no oxygen under pressure, he would have been a mess to this day if he was still alive in body. He, he would have been an absolute man. You know, it's interesting. You know, a so lot of you, people remember that time, and they remember seeing him in the chamber, and they thought he was, like, it, off of his rocker. Absolutely. Know, but, um, in the chamber, which looks like a glass coffin, because we have to – it's thick, thick glass, and you have to pressurize it dramatically to force the oxygen into the body, just like they force the carbon dioxide into the Coke with pressure. That's how you do it. Simple. I remember one time I was uh, doing an interview when I was uh, 
had a radio program through UCI and I had interviewed a, a physician about, you know, diabetes. And, you know, like my uncle, you know, he had diabetes and he ended up having his, got gangrene and then got his foot cut off and then his leg cut off and then it progresses. You know, that is one of the things that the Whitaker Institute was known for was, you know, uh, uh, reversing heart disease, diabetes. Can you uh, share with our listeners just a little bit about oxygen therapy and what it's used for? Because I don't think that people realize they can prevent an amputation if they go into a hyperbaric chamber, you know, or if they've had a stroke. Can you share some of the therapeutic health benefits of oxygen therapy? Yeah, oxygen therapy will help the healing cascade in any situation. In some situations, it's absolutely magic. We have treated some patients with necrotizing fasciitis, which is a, a very fancy name for the flesh-eating bacteria. And I have some pictures in, in my lobby of befores and afters. And high levels of oxygen will make it difficult for the bacteria to replicate in the production of that disease process. And it does that. It, and speeds up healing in almost any situation. I remember Dr. Whitaker used to have a lot of fun telling uh, the ladies who were going to have plastic surgery, well, you're going to have plastic surgery, and how long did the plastic surgeon tell you you have to hide because you might scare somebody when you came out and they saw you? You know, and, and, and uh, uh, Dr. Whitaker would tell the patient uh, or the patient's wife, husband, whatever they were, uh, that... Uh, it would be, oh, you, you probably, in fact, one plastic surgeon used to say, well, you're going to have to hide for four weeks. Well, we'd say, okay, that's not so. You get in the hyperbaric chamber when we tell you to, as many times as we tell you to, and you will heal in one half the time. And that turned out to be absolutely valid. So it speeds up the healing process dramatically, and it will do that to anything, any, any kind of healing that will take place will be speeded up dramatically by hyperbaric therapy, and some things can actually begin the healing process. For example, the, the diabetic problems with losing a foot and losing a leg and all that, of course, the hyperbaric chamber is absolutely going to help you. But the other big thing is learn how to keep your mouth shut. That is a big problem. You know, we create disease most of the time, especially diabetes, uh, and a few, a few uh, cases of diabetes, uh, certain types, that's not true. But 95%, yes, it's true. Y you've got to watch what you put in your mouth. And I am going to reveal to all of you right now what is the most evil demon from the deepest, darkest pit of hell. And you know what it is? It's sugar. Sugar. <laughs> sugar. Sugar is an evil that. demon. Yeah. Terrible. Well, you so know, and I, and I don't everybody think people really realize. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody realizes everything has sugar in it. Yes, but uh, what I want to tell say is that, you know, like when we see the rise in cancer rates and especially, you know, the dramatic 
is in children's cancer. Cancer is one of the fastest growing cancers, and children are basically raised on sugar. Even in cancer clinics, you often see donuts and things like that, and yet sugar is one of the things that feed cancer. Speaking of cancer, one of the things that we use down at the clinic in Mexico also was hyperbaric oxygen. So can you touch on a little bit, you know, someone that is uh, challenged with cancer, how hyperbaric um therapy might be beneficial for them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I tell you, the first thing I tell them is the evil demon of sugar must be eradicated from your life, baby. Because if it isn't, a lot of the things that you're doing, you are wasting your time, your money, and everything else. So take a look at what you put in your mouth, first of all. And there are certain protocols for that. And, in fact, we can do a show some night if you want to on on the types of food and whatever, and we can give out some literature and pictures of different things that they should have and eat and whatever. But it's, it's very important because what goes into our body becomes cellular. It becomes cellular. It ends up in our blood. It nourishes us or it poisons us. So we have to remember that. And in remembering that, we have to mandate that our patients do it. And it's really hard sometimes to get them to turn the the curve, to turn around the corner and stop doing what they're doing. But the sugar must go immediately. Sugar also affects the immune system. And you want your immune system to be functioning. If you are the, if you are the king or queen of a kingdom with, with uh, uh, 10 million soldiers, and you, your 10 million soldiers are always on guard and ready to act, when the enemy comes. Now, what if five million of your soldiers are drunk and they're drunk all the time? They're useless. And your enemy comes and attacks you. You know what? Enemy is going to win. You got half your soldiers asleep, passed out, drunk, whatever. The same is true with the immune system. If you are consuming things that are contrary to the health of the immune system, the disease-fighting system, you will have much less of a chance of healing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the challenge that I am preaching about all the time. I don't know if that Well, you know, I think I find myself, well, I think that I am always preaching also the preventative aspect, right? You know, you can, you know, like a surgery or, you know, different things like that, or sometimes just the Band-Aid effect and not really getting to the root. And it doesn't matter what disease or affliction, we have to kind of get to the root of what's kind of going on. But it's good to know that, you know, when... Um, and, you know, and that's what a program like that is about and alternative medical uh, physicians and clinicians and clinics, you know, their whole shtick is, you know, getting to the root, uh, changing your diet, you know, changing your whole perception, you know, but, you know, the, so the, the hyperbaric thing, I think it's, it's good to know that if somebody's had a stroke, you know, the sooner they can get into a hyperbaric chamber, the less uh, damage there is. If somebody is a high level athlete, you know, uh, hyperbaric will accelerate that healing and recovery process like you said with surgeries you know so there's a lot of different things so let's go um all the way around now let's flip into a little bit more about the spiritual nature of healing because again when people come to a clinic and they've lost their health oftentimes there's a lot of fear associated with uh, what's kind of going on because now you all of a sudden don't have control you know and and I, i have found that oftentimes in the cases of cancer as well when you are diagnosed with a, a, 
a um, a terminal illness or you don't have a good prognosis, doesn't matter if it's cardiovascular, whatever it is, you know, sometimes people uh, turn to the power of prayer and, and there's a lot of conflict, you know. Does prayer really help? Uh, you know, it, it, then they think it's religion. What's the crossover between, you know, the spiritual nature for healing? Well, do you mind if I give you my my version of that? Um, my version is a little different than most people's version. Uh, first of all, we believe we have a creator. And the creator is the cause behind everything, absolutely everything. And when we are sick, we want to find a way to get well. And it's very difficult because you have to start with what goes in your mouth, and then you have all kinds of medicines and things that you take to eradicate the problem or make it better or accelerate the healing of the problem or that kind of thing. And that's very, very important. But the other important thing is the spiritual aspect of our life is what is neglected. It is neglected. And this is a story that Pope John Paul told me years ago, years ago. He said, uh, you know, he said, from the moment of conception in the womb of the mother, that moment of conception creates a life that is eternal, without a doubt, eternal never ends. Therefore, death is not the end of anything. It's the giving up of the experience of having a body and living with it for a while and getting used to the, to the natural order of things. And that's what that's about. But going on into spirit, we call death. I want to share with everybody what that means in Jesus Christ's language. And I'm not trying to be religious here. I'm trying to be academic. Okay? Jesus spoke Aramaic. I happen to be of Aramaic extraction, so I, I understand the depth of, of some of these definitions. But the word for death in Aramaic is mut, mut. My grandmother was always using that word because there was always an aunt or an uncle or cousin or somebody dying. And when you say mut, you're saying that person is dead. But what does moot translate into? If you translate it from Aramaic to English, this is what it means. Put it in your head, in your brain, and know that this is what it means. All death means in the language of Jesus, if that's important to you or not, I don't care. But the meaning of the word, the definition of the word, the translation of the word is very, very important. It means to be present elsewhere. That's what it means, to be present elsewhere. And that's what John Paul was trying to tell the group that I was with, I was talking about a few minutes ago, that life is eternal. Once, once it's put into action, it never ends. It just has a physical body for a little while, then the physical body goes away because nothing physical lasts, and it goes into eternity. Now, that's a crazy answer, but that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. When you talk about talking, uh, tapping into the universe, sometimes I, think, you know, we use a lot of different words for the same thing. You know, yeah, to yeah, me, in do. my mind, you know, 
connect to like a, a healing stream or it's like is it the chi energy is it a universal source it is it connecting you know with god is it connecting with mana is it there's a lot of words and i think sometimes you know we are clouded uh with you know where we want to put it in a box but i think it's the same thing you and i were talking about um how everything is energy everything is frequencies the body is electric and there's uh, every Everything on earth, you know, has a frequency and a vibration to it. You know, aren't we just sort of top tapping into that frequency? Of course we are. Absolutely we are. And, and we wish, uh, at Dr. Whitaker's, I worked for him for a long time, and, and uh, we had some doctors that we would send people to who had prayer at every, every appointment before they did whatever they were doing. And the prayer wasn't any kind of crazy stuff. It was, you know, Creator, inspire us, help us. Creator, give strength and courage to the patient. And please, please send down healing virtue on this body. But this person has created their illness, most likely. Help them learn and help them have the courage and the space to do what will get rid of the illness. That's a great part of healing. It's a great part. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's a, a crazy miracle-making thing, but it sets the stage for healing better than anything else. Does that make but sense? But you know what? I think modern-day, yes, but modern-day verbiage will use intention. They will use mindfulness. They will use affirmations because you want to affirm something to be true. Like, you know, even if you look at some biblical street, uh, you know, uh, verses or whatever, you know, it's focus on all that's good, you know, restoring a divine order. So, you know, I think that, you know, and that's also tapping into quote unquote, the of the universe, you know, of, uh, you know, gravity, of receive, uh, you know, so there's universal principles as well that are all interwoven. So to me, I have a tendency to see them all interrelated as one. Hey, you are absolutely 100% correct. 100% correct. That's that's 50% of the situation. The other 50% is what are we doing to help create the disease process? And let me tell you something. Mostly if we learn to keep our mouths shut, we're gonna, we're going to reduce the disease process dramatically. <laughs> Because we put stuff into our Okay, bodies. well, you know something? We know that, but... Right, but Dr. Jolly, we still... It's a head game, right? It's always a well, head game. When you are paralyzed with fear, you... Guess what? People that maybe never have prayed before, all of a sudden they prayed. I remember I when you get out of high school and you're away from home, oh, I'm not going to church, you know, don't even, you get lazy, you know, and then all of a sudden you have an experience where you're faced with cancer yourself and all of a sudden you're filled with fear and you go back to your roots because your mind can be like a runaway train. And Amen. I think that we have to, we have to learn to uh, train the brain, you know, so it doesn't run away with us. And I, I feel like prayer has a role in that, um, you know, uh, in, in as a tool. You know, so let's talk about, you know, if you were to say define prayer. You know, you, uh, you had mentioned that, you know, prayer has a specific uh, definition and there's different types of prayer. Well, you know what we used to do at Dr. Whitaker's 
if a person, if we could, I, and I used to lecture a lot there. You remember those lectures? We had huge lectures in the dining yes. room over at the Hilton. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I would talk a lot about spirituality and other things that, that were non-physical. And Dr. Whitaker said to me one day, he said, um, you know, Donald, they, the patients come back to me and, and they tell me how important what you said is. You need to tell more people. You need to make it part of everything you do to include the spirituality if they're open to it, if they're open to it. And he wanted to do a study to see if it helped it. And he, he ran across a couple of doctors that you, you did some research on them. You know, you know who they are, uh, who practice yes. with, with godliness and prayer as part of their practicing of medicine. What did you find out about those two guys? Well, you know what, one of the things that I thought was interesting is, you know, when I was um, reviewing some of your material, you had talked about 1993, the Eisenberg study where, you know, they they did, um, you know, a, a poll to find out how many people in the U.S. prayed and actually 90% prayed, 90%, 95% of them said that they had their prayers answered, 25% have prayed for a sporting event, 5% admitted to having prayed for the harm of someone else, right, it reminds me of somebody that wants to put a hex on someone and then 25 percent have prayed for a medical condition so but dr um you know larry dossie you know did a lot of um interesting clinical research as well about you know what are the positive effects on the physiology you know and i don't know if you remember what his findings were oh they were magnificent mm-hmm they so were good yeah so uh huh. So he was saying about how, you know, with cardiovascular, they found, you know, uh, it helped with cardiovascular disease, uh, people that had HIV, something as simple as colitis, alcoholism, depression, cancer, strokes, hypertension. These are all of the things that when people harness their mind, right, you can call Absolutely. it prayer or you can put it in whatever form, that it really does have a, a physiological effect. Now, when you worked with um, people, because, you know, I know that you have gone to many hospitals, you know, when people, you know, are maybe transitioning, you know, what has your experience been, you know, working with them? Well, when I share with them what death means in in Aramaic, and I share with them the magnificence of life, and life is really a school, and we have a body because we're given the opportunity to know what the physical world is like, and that it's not eternal, it's just for a little while. All of these things put together add up to, I'm not afraid, this is an experience, it's going to be over, and then I have, I'm free of this body that holds me back. That, that, that was our goal, that was my goal, it was Dr. Hughes' goal, it was doc- all the doctors that we worked with, Dr. Savage's role, Dr. Judd's role, and, and it was, I, I believe very strongly that Dr. Whitaker, it was his role, but he didn't broadcast it like the rest of us did. He didn't broadcast it. He made it a part of, of much of what he did, but if the people weren't buying into spirituality, he wouldn't force it on him. He just kept it medical, medical, that's it. So that's mm-hmm. what happens. If, people, if they want to buy into it, it will help them. 
because it will affect the physicality. You know, it gives them hope. Hope is magic. It's absolutely magic. Without hope, we're hopeless, and nobody nobody wants to be hopeless. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, goodness gracious. I liked the analogy that you had used in the past about, you know, um, us being like a satellite dish, <laughs> right? And, oh, in prayer, um, for prayer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. We're sending a signal. Oh, that's because in Jesus Christ's language, I like to go back to Aramaic because it's really a wonderful language. Go back to Aramaic. The the word for prayer is umsalla. And um, if you translate umsalla, this is what it means, to set a trap. Now, when I tell people that, they look at me like I'm nuts, I've lost it, baby, you send me to the the, uh, mental hospital now. No, but when you think about it, prayer is setting a trap. What is a trap? It's a connection. It's reaching out and grabbing. It's, it's, it's holding on to something. And that's what prayer is. It's, a, it's entrapment between you and God. You're sending a signal. The signal is being mm-hmm. received and hopefully sent back to you. Does that make sense? Hello, hello. Did I lose you? The signal, signal thing. Uh, no, are you there? Oh, okay, good. Hello. Yeah, Dr. I'm Jolly? here. Okay, yes. good. Okay, so no, no, no. I, I, I like the uh, signal um, an analogy because I feel like, you know, like you know, um, like I've come up against, you know, sometimes people that are like more resistance to the thought of prayer. But again, it can be just a matter of um, tapping in and listening to your inner voice, right? And and something tuning happened. in and we, connecting we, with something bigger than you. Well, that's that's what we're doing. We're, that's what we're doing. We're connecting. We we are entrapping the spirit of our Creator. That's that's what we're doing. We're entrapping the spirit of our Creator, and and, and it may be easier for us who, in this this wild world of wireless things, cell phones, and and sending all kinds of messages to who and where and whatever. You wouldn't. Nobody would have believed this 60 years ago. Nobody. And now we're doing it. And and it's the same thing. We're transmitting to God, to our Creator. We're transmitting things prayerfully. We're sending signals. We're sending signals. And we haven't yet perfected the entire process. I believe one day we will further perfect the process of prayer. And and maybe that's why the when we were in the monastery we prayed for hours a day, and we would chant these beautiful prayers that would lift our heart to God, and sometimes we would have a, a, the organ accompany it, but mostly it was just a cappella chanting. We chanted in Latin, but we knew what the words meant. We we knew you know how to translate them, so we weren't just hearing ourselves, but it was magic. And can you imagine all, all of us living in a in a big, huge building, praying four hours a day minimum, plus mass on top of that every day? We had an incredible life. It was full of magic. It was full of positivity. I don't think people understand you know, the prayer is so powerful. Well, I don't think that... Well, I understand, probably understand. Some may not understand how powerful it is, and some people would think, "Oh my gosh, I don't think I could sit in one spot for four hours." I would be one of those, right? But, no, but you see, you we, know, don't, we don't do the, that in, in our prayer. We have a lot of 
we have a lot of beautiful chanting and incredible music. Uh, it's it's a whole different ball game, and and not just uh, uttering a prayer. It seems like the rosary and things are, are uttered prayers, but you know they only last fifteen minutes. Uh, but in, in chanting, we would chant two hours without a doubt. It would be the most incredible healing experience we had. Amazing. But, you know, I think with the chanting as well, you're also tapping into a, a vibrational um, frequency as well. because We know that, you know, um, chanting is also one of the things that can uh, rebalance, you know, blood pressure levels, calm down the mind. That state is also like the meditative state where your brain goes into the different wavelengths, you know, where it's more a, a deeper meditative state. And so I think chanting allows you to do that. And when you are into a more of a meditative state, that is when you can like tap into the source. Like Boy. for me, sometimes it's in the quiet, quiet times. It's like all of a sudden it's like God comes through and gives me this message. So I think that sometimes people may not want to quote unquote uh, label him as God, God for whatever reason, but it's still a source like what you said that you tap into, uh, you know, the satellite, right? And you download. And I, and I think that even when you look at Einstein and you look at any of the other physicians, they tapped into a universal source of energy and information. And you know, I believe you're, that you're prayer right. helps right. you do that. Yeah, it centers you. It, it, it magnifies. It magnifies. It does. It's, it's magic. Magic. But we have to learn how to do it and, and, and not just, you know, haphazardly. We gotta, we gotta do it like we love each other, you know, like we're communicating with each other, a husband and wife, and and children, and just a connection, a real connection. Well, you know, one of the things that I talked to about with a friend of mine, and it reminds me of, you know, your uh, thing with Mother, uh, the Mother Teresa effect, right? And what yeah, is that yeah. whole concept, right? Yeah, and yeah, it's the yeah. love frequency. You know, where people, when they know that they're loved, you know, that is like the highest vibrational frequency. And I think that's what Mother Teresa was about, who tapped into that source. Well, they, they, had, they named it the Mother Teresa effect because she and her nuns would just go out in the streets and bathe these people and give them new new saris, you know, the, the dress, the, co the clothes they wear, and feed them and give them hope. Give them love. That's what they gave them. They gave them love. And most of those people recovered. Recovered. But the, the case of many people lying there in the streets with the buzzards coming already to eat them. And, and, and the, the nuns are, you know. Uh, you know what? I couldn't them. even, I could not even. Awful, huh? So it. In that situation, then let's talk about, say, the different type and types of prayer. Like, you know, there's prayers that, you know, dear Jesus, you know, I need help with this. You know, like our desperate prayers, right? When uh, when the going gets tough, all of a sudden we pray, right? You oh, know, and then there's the kind that you can absolutely. pray for others. Absolutely. You know, that's, and that's, what about distant healing? Well, hey, uh, I don't think prayer has any boundaries i think prayer energy is like a cell phone energy now maybe that can help us understand uh, how we can just blast messages out there um, 
it it doesn't matter. We just do it. We do it. We do it. And if if there's supposed to be a positive answer, there is. And if not, there isn't. That's all. I I pray all the time, and and we have a a prayer in the, in the I I am a Orthodox Christian, Orthodox Catholic Christian, and I was educated in the Roman Catholic school system, mm-hmm. and I was ordained in the um, Orthodox Catholic system, but. The thing is, we all believe the same thing, and we believe in in meditation, lots of meditation, meditative prayer, and that's sending the signals out there, and it's shutting up and receiving Mm -hmm. the signals. It's a two-way street, two-way street. That's wonderful, wonderful. You know, one of the other things, one of that Dr. Doc talked about in his scientific studies on prayer. And, he, and I thought this was perfect. It says, like, be careful what you pray for because you just might get it. And then um, one of the other things he said is the most practical reason to examine prayer and healing is simply that at least some of the time it works. It works. The, yeah. the evidence yeah. is simply overwhelming that prayer functions at a distance to change physical processes in in a variety of organisms from bacteria to humans. And, you know, we're looking at, and, you know, one of the things in your lecture on um, the spiritual nature of healing, you really made a lot of reference to a lot of the clinical research, you know, from uh, Larry Dossie and a couple of other physicians, too, even with bacteria and fungi. Oh, we used to do that. We used to have fun with nuns, praying over 50 uh, Petri dishes. You remember the old Petri dishes from lab? Praying over the petri mm-hmm. dishes that the bacteria would multiply and thrive and grow. On one side, the nuns would would pray that, and on the other side of the big table in the lab, they would pray that it die and that it not reproduce. And both sides worked. <laughs> both mm-hmm. sides worked. So it's so again, and as you know, when people would come to you know the Whitaker Clinic or they would come down to Mexico. To Mexico to the cancer clinic, boy, that attitude has everything to do with whether you heal or not. Well, it sure helps if you, and if you have a speaking real positive of prayer, attitude and you, you've taken away the fear, see? Right. What about on the flip side of it, you know, in the whole prayer factor, you know, you know when you look at forgiveness, you know, how uh, critical is forgiveness in someone's over? overall healing process. Well, let me explain to you what forgiveness really is. You want, you want a lesson in forgiveness? Forgiveness in, uh, in Aramaic is Shabag. Shabag. And if you'll go back to the, to the uh, uh, Bible, you'll, you'll see references always to forgive, forgive, forgive. Jesus says to forgive. I think one of the, one of the uh, uh, apostles was a little bit pissed off at him because he, he talked too much about forgiveness. But he didn't understand the Shabag technique. See, in Aramaic, Shabag means forgiveness. But it doesn't mean the simple American uh, meaning uh, to most people is let somebody off the hook for something they did. That is not what Shabag means. Shabag means to let go from your heart what you're holding on to that's hurting you because somebody else screwed you over. You have to learn how to let mm-hmm. it go has nothing to do with the other guy, except the other guy hurt you really badly because you're taking on the burden. And and Jesus is saying, hey, guys, wise up, Shabag, get rid of it, let it go from your heart. The effect it's having on you, let it go. That's what forgiveness is supposed to mean. Mm-hmm. 
And you, can you see the difference? You know, you 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 let somebody oh, off the hook. Yes. Doesn't, doesn't help you any. But boy, if you let it out of your heart, then you may want to let them off the hook. That's fine. But but that's not the purpose. Purpose is you let it go. That's what Jesus said. Uh, he said uh, he was asked the question: How many times are we supposed to forgive? And you know, it just always let all the crap go. Shovel it out. That's all. You know, and I think, too, you know, when you think about being mindful of prayer and, you know, connecting with a source that's greater than you, you know, you also have to let go of all of those pocket of rocks and that baggage that you've been um, hauling around, you know, because I've also witnessed, and I'm sure you have with the plethora of patients that you've seen over the number of years, you know, someone can be doing everything possible from, you know, the shed to the you know the proper nutrients to the oxygen therapy but there's still a deep-seated um root and you know often you know it happens when we were younger right and it has a lot of times to do with you know a forgiveness uh factor that's a uh, deep-seated so so it's interesting when you can release that you know um and that's love your enemies as well yeah. yeah. So but it it's it's mean just that one act. In, in, in love with them, it means you don't hate them, and you let you give them the benefit of the doubt, and you know, and you you probably stay away from them too. That's okay too. Mm-hmm. And again, it's good to hang on to like that, that love frequency, right? To like you know, to feel the love, you know, uh, spread the love, you know, receive the love, you know, and give love. You know, because it truly is a, a big healer. So, out of all of, let's talk about just uh, just for a moment, because I think you know, getting back to a little bit of oxygen and breathing, because breathing is one of the foundational ways um, for people to connect. Right? You know, not only does it affect their blood pressure and all of that other good stuff, and reduce our stress levels and the cortisols. I think that's a good, um, simple strategy to um, quiet your mind, you know, and harness the horse and, you know, and a connector maker. Can you uh, give us a technique? I know that you used to teach patients a really simple breathing technique that they could use just to, you know, calm down and get in the zone. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up. I I would like to mix it with something that's very medical. Um, Oxygen is so important for our welfare and our health, our mental attitude, our emotional status. It is very, very important. And we need to have an oxygen level of about 98 on an oximeter. I don't know if all you know what an oximeter is, but it's that little thing the doctor or the nurse puts on your finger to take a reading of the oxygen, dissolved oxygen ratio in your blood, and it should be 98. And if everybody had an oximeter and they took their oxygen level in the morning and they took it later on in the day and they, they kind of make sure that it's always up. If it's, not, if it's not 98, you know, if it's 92, I don't like that. I sit the patient down and I say, all right, we're going to breathe. And we do some breathing exercises and we bring it up to 98. We can do it in 15 minutes without a problem. 
And a lot of people are going around absolutely devoid mm-hmm. of the appropriate amount of oxygen. And for and I used to pay 250 bucks for these little oximeters. You put them on the finger. I'm sure you know what it is. They do it at the doctors all the time. But now they're not 250 dollars. So Walmart mm-hmm. will give them to you for 18 or 19 dollars. Everybody should have one. Take the thing and do some breathing exercises if you're too low. Keep your levels high. Oxygen is your fuel. And if it's not high, your immune system goes down. Pretty soon you get sleepy. You you get kind of you don't care anymore as much as you used to. And you know, I I love teaching people about that. And I had people writing me letters all the time. Oh, thank you, thank you for helping me, teaching me the breathing techniques and blah blah blah. I I have never been so even. They call it even. Or I have never been such a had such a high consistency in my oxygen level. It's because they've taken control of it. That's why. And the same is true okay. with water. Okay, okay, doctor. All right, but first of all, I want that technique, man. <laughs> Give us the technique. So oh, the there's technique different ways to breathe. You know, sometimes you people just kind of like, yes, we need a little. Chair, you know. Okay, and you go ahead. Exhale okay. properly. You must exhale properly because the carbon dioxide, which is the poisonous gas we produce, stays in the lungs and mixes with the air, the oxygen in the air. And remember, there's only 21% oxygen in air. So if we have still some of the poison gas in our lungs and we breathe 21% oxygen, we can't get all of it in there because of the gas that's left in there. And, and so we're, we're cheating ourselves of the oxygen. So what we need to do is take a nice, slow, wonderful, deep breath out, all the way out. All empty lungs. Then we fill up with fresh air. Even though it only has 21% oxygen, it's not mixed with anything else, and it's going to enliven us. And we need to do that every single day. Mm -hmm. Every morning we need to do it, and every afternoon we need to do it. We need to learn how to keep our O2 levels around 98, and it can be done unless you have a really pretty serious medical problem. We can teach the world how to do that. Do you that. think Maybe it makes a difference? Classes. It makes a difference? My God. I get these well, do you know, do you think it makes a difference? Wait a second. No, no, no. Do you think it makes a difference if when you're breathing in through your nose that you fill up your lungs as uh, full as you can and hold it? Does it make a difference to hold it for a count of three or four? And yeah, out? yeah, yeah, but not for long. Not for long, because you're taking fresh air in all the time. Okay. As long right. as you're so it's exhaling easy and properly, and effortless. as long as you're exhaling properly, always exhale properly. And sure, hold it for a couple seconds. No big deal. No big deal. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I have we, one we quick question about the hyperbaric chambers. We change, change people's lives. <laughs> yeah, we could all do a webinar and be heavy together. <laughs> Get the Amen. oxygen Listen, going you know, to the coconut. I, I tell you, I'm, I'm almost 80 <laughs> years old, and uh, I, uh, my big major problem is uh, I injured my back, and uh, that slows me down a little bit, but not very much, not very much. So, well, you know uh, what? I cannot believe the amount of things that you to 80 years old. You're here, you're there. Oh, yeah. I well, I'm not going to until my, some time with our listeners. Uh, until I reach the point where my spirit is in in spirit, 
uh, I, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to do everything I can to help people. I've learned mm-hmm. an awful lot. I mean, you saw my educational stuff. It's almost ridiculous. And I ain't going to waste it, see? <laughs> That's my, my... You know what? It's I'm, interesting. I saw your list, and then I didn't feel so bad because I'm a proverbial seeker of knowledge as well. And uh, some of my friends, my friends make fun of me. Oh, you're going to do another certification? But I have a thirst for knowledge and a curiosity about anything that has to do with healing. And I saw your list of all of your credentials, and I went, oh, my goodness. But it just goes to show you, and I give you this example I was sharing with you the other day when one of the Whitaker patients at 94 years old came to the clinic, you know, his wife had passed away, he got depressed, ended up bedridden, and then one day woke up and said, like, what am I doing, you know, and started to do leg lifts in bed, you know, and then he started doing little sit-ups, and then he started doing a little sh- and you know, and here he was at 94 years old at the institute for a 21-day program because he still figured, <coughs> excuse me, there was something he could do to improve, improve the quality of his life. Now, now that is someone that's teachable. Well, you know, I want to be like, be like him when I grow a, up. Amen, amen. And we had such a great privilege being there in that environment because so many people turned their lives around. So many people, and the spiritual element. Um, I, you know, I was I, pretty open with all of that, and I never hid any of it. And it it really did help people. Really did. But listen, if really think about it, about it. If you say to them, "Okay, I keep being sick. Think about being sick. Think about being sick." You can attract that, <laughs> just like you can attract. Getting well, right? I think, has I to think do that's with very, healing, very, and we can tap true. into that, right? It it helps. It helps a lot. It does, and sometimes it makes miracles. Well, you you did a little bit of again. research on on those two doctors All right, that have really really bought into this, and they've proven scientifically that it's working. Yes, but Doctor Jolly, I hate. I'm sorry, you wigged out. I can't hear you. Well, I hate to uh, close on you. I knew this last hour just zipped on by. Again, one of the things that... Oh, I I said that uh, we're coming to a close on the hour, and I just wanted to thank you... Thank you so God much. God bless everybody, and thank you. I, I am privileged to have had this time. Again, uh, thank you for uh, being on the program. Take care. God bless you. I hope to see you soon. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Jolly. And we'll be in touch soon. Okay, thank you. Bye for now. Well, thank you so much. Tune in every other week on Mondays from 6 to 7, planting seeds of possibilities for hope and for healing. This is Annette Blanchard, holistic health practitioner. Have a blessed day. Bye for now.